Tombs and graves have been known to tell us a lot about a person. I remember in my fourth year at Teachers College in Cape Town, we had a history project, and part of that project was to go to different graveyards in Cape Town and try to construct the story of the people who, were, who had been alive at the time. And we got that from the tomb stones primarily, uh, seeing how they were grouped together and all sorts of things that actually became a very, very interesting exercise. And we could tell quite a lot from uh, the tombs of people who had died before. Uh, if you think about the many groups of tombs in the world today, think about the pyramids of Egypt. They are famous because they contain these mummified bodies of the kings of Egypt and all of their treasures. We can tell how they lived and what they valued and, and you know, what they pursued after and all sorts of things just from their tombs. Think about when West, Westminster Abbey in London, revered, because in it lie the, the bodies of many famous English noblemen and lords and royalty and all the rest of it. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, the resting place of many famous Americans. And even Muhammad's tomb in Medina is noted for the stone coffin and the bones it contains. Contained now, covered by a big green dome. I mean, we know Muhammad had 13 wives. Do you know that his youngest wife he married when she was only six years old? Her name was Aisha. Consummated the marriage at nine years old. This was a filthy Filthy, dirty, horrible person that is followed by millions of people today. Anyway, even his tomb we can learn something from today. But the garden tomb, the tomb of Jesus, is famous for a, a, a different sort of reason. It's empty. <laughs> it's empty. There's nothing there. I've seen it myself personally three times. Maybe four. Three. Not sure. But it's empty. There's a sign on the door that says, He's not here, for He is risen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to read a passage of Scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. I'm not sure. I think I put it up on the screen. You can follow it there too. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Okay. Here's a clue from the Apostle Paul. He's, he's reminding us about this gospel. Not the word of man and not additions to it and not what we need to do in order to get saved beyond the gospel. He's giving us the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel I preach which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. In other words, if you add anything to this gospel for salvation, you have believed in vain. Friends, if you want to add baptism or confirmation or christening or tithing, or jumping up and down, or shouting hallelujah, or fasting for 21 days three times a year, or anything else, if you want to add anything to this gospel, the Apostle Paul says, you believe in vain. Amen? I'm just reading the Bible to you this morning. 
He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. And after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Did you get that? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And to prove all of that, he appeared to Peter, the twelve, obviously the women as well, at, uh, at the grave, in the graveyard, remember that? And then to 500 brothers, most of whom are still living, then to James, then to all the apostles, and then to Paul himself. This tomb is empty. And what can we learn from this empty tomb this morning? What does it tell us? It tells us, Many things, but I'm going to share with you five things very briefly this morning. The first one is that His power is ultimate. His power is ultimate. It's the ultimate demonstration of God's power in Jesus Christ. That He not only raised Jesus from the dead, but He seated Him at His right hand, gave Him a name that is above every other name, and said, this is my solution for mankind. The final fulfillment of countless prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah. This was the fulfillment. Jesus was the fulfillment. Those prophecies including not only how He'd be born or where He'd be born, but also how He would die like we read this morning. That He'd be buried, His grave, His resurrection, all the rest of it. As I mentioned, Isaiah had written this 800 years before Jesus was even born. I mean, this is amazing stuff. The empty tomb was the definitive demonstration of power over all of life and all of death. It transformed fearful lives, infusing them with courage and hope from which to change the world. Some hearts were very threatened, even as Jesus predicted. If they didn't listen to Moses, he said in the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And obviously he was talking about himself. And the same is true today. Even today, this empty tomb causes consternation to people. People who set their whole lives out to prove that the resurrection actually didn't happen. And most of these people, highly educated people, who search the historical and other records, come to this clear conclusion, Jesus rose from the dead. Some say He wasn't really dead. <laughs> the historical records show that he was, he was beaten until He was unable to stand. He was nailed to a cross and finally had that sword pierced into His side out of which a mixture of blood and water flowed from His lifeless body. He was then prepared for burial with about 34 kilograms of spices and wrapped up very securely. Laid in a tomb. A large tombstone was rolled in front of that. They say about 20 people it would have taken to move that stone. 
extra Roman guards were placed at that tomb. And yet, that Sunday morning, when those women ran to that tomb, it was empty. There was no one in the grave. Others have suggested that Jesus, the disciples stole Jesus from the grave. I mean, come on, these are the disciples who were running away in fear. They had scattered. They had left Him and disappeared for fear that he, they too would be crucified because that, that was the normal Roman way of doing something. That if that was their leader and you were the follower, you would follow the leader right to crucifixion. So they, they wouldn't have taken a chance and stolen Jesus' body. Besides, uh, the Romans had ensured that that would never happen by placing extra guards at the tomb. Some have even suggested that maybe they went to the wrong tomb. I mean, that's just not even feasible. They laid him in that tomb. They wouldn't have gone to the wrong tomb. Joseph knew who his tomb was. The woman knew where they had laid him. The disciples knew where they had laid him. There was no wrong truth here. The truth is, Peter could stand 40 days later and proclaim undisputed, Jesus is risen from the dead in front of all of those people. The Apostle Paul could speak of Jesus' appearance to over 500 people, many who were still alive. Jesus had risen from the dead. Romans chapter 8, friends, says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. The empty tomb tells us His power is ultimate. What is it that you're lacking this morning in power? Where is it that your life is at? What is it in your relationship or your business dealings or anything else that you're thinking that God lacks the ability to help you, to rescue you, to save you in that situation? That's just ludicrous when we consider the ultimate power of the resurrect, resurrection and the empty tomb. Secondly, through an empty tomb, God tells us that His priority is people. His priority is people. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. I've got bad news for you. The, the main intention of Jesus coming into this world is not so that you can have a better life. The main intention for Jesus coming into the world is not so that you can practice the social gospel. The main purpose for Jesus coming to the world is not so that you can pray away the sun and pray down the rain, or whatever it is, make your life a little better. The main reason Jesus came into this world was to seek and save that which was lost. Our focus can never move away from the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The church now wants to preach health and wealth and prosperity. There's not much talk about sin and hell and damnation. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The world is made up of sinners in need of a Savior. The good news is, that His priority is people. And He came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 18, 12. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep 
One of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? If he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 who didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. That's God's desire for all mankind, is that not one of them would be lost. Now maybe that's a value that's hard for you to see in yourself. As human beings, we often look at that which is frail and flawed. But as a father, God sees his child. That's why Jesus was born into obscurity. Why he touched the lepers. Why he ministered to the poor, the sinners, the socially marginalized. That's who he went to. And if that doesn't convince you that God actually loves you and that his priority is you as a people... For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The church is so determined nowadays to try and prove from the Scripture why marriage between a man and a man is okay. Why it's okay for a woman and a woman to be together and all of these other aberrations that we see around us. And we miss the bottom line of the Scripture. For God so loved the world, His priority is people, that whoever believes in Him will not perish. And believes in Him, takes Him for who He is. The Bible says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world for who, through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Friends, that's the gospel message. God's priority is people and He's going for our sin condition. And the empty tomb today reminds us that He has, he has provided the way for the condition that we had no say over and we could do nothing about. He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe stands condemned already. I, just don't, I don't get it. How can we be faced with the historical fact of the resurrection of the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be faced with the fact that for the wages of my sin is death and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? There's some people who will even accept in the church, yes, Jesus rose from the dead and they'll be celebrating all over the world today that Jesus is alive. But they won't take that simple fact that He's alive because He came here because He needed to prioritize people who had no hope without a Savior who were lost and dead and gone, dying in their sin. But we have this glorious Savior and that tomb reminds us that we matter to him. Thirdly, through the empty tomb, God tells us that his peace is beyond anything. His peace is beyond anything. Yes, in the midst of COVID, his peace is beyond anything. In the midst of my business going wrong, his peace is beyond anything. With the memories that I still bear from what I used to do and what I used to be, his peace is beyond everything. 
the first words of our risen Lord to his disciples were, Peace be with you. First thing he said to them, Peace be with you. John 20, 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when his disciples were together, it was a Sunday, Sunday evening, <laughs> the doors were locked for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. Wow. I'm looking forward to my glorified body that I can just pop in and out of rooms behind locked doors. Hey, can you imagine? Phew. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Here were these men gathered. They were frightened. They were terrified. They, I mean, the Romans were still after them. They could have still been crucified as well. They didn't know. The woman had come and told them stuff, but it didn't make sense to them. They hadn't joined all the dots from the Scriptures and what Jesus had said. They hadn't put it all together yet. They were terrified. Poof, there's Jesus. Peace be with you. After this, He showed them His hands and His side. He's, he wasn't just a ghost. He's not a spook. We're going to get a resurrection body. And it's not going to have a, a foot that's on fire right now like mine is. Or a big toe that's paining. Or a, a neck that's stiff. Or a, it's not going to have any of those things. What is yours? Arthritis. That glory for, you're going to get a body. You're not going to be a spirit floating around like a spook. Here was Jesus, poof, in their midst. And he said, see my hands and my side. His glorified body still contained his wounds as a proof to them. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Wow. A peace like any other. Someone has said that the great tragedy of our lives is that we live between the shame of our failures and the fear of our future. The great tragedy of our lives. For many people, even Christians, we live between the shame of our failures and the fear of our future. But here before us stands the risen Christ. He's the one who sets us free from failure and sends us forward into our future in which He has defeated death. God didn't create us for time. He created us for eternity, an eternity of peace. And that eternity begins when we accept Jesus, that He accept that He is indeed Lord and that He has risen from the dead. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Friends, through the tomb, God tells us that His peace is beyond any circumstance. And I invite you this morning to enter into that peace. To not allow your heart to be troubled. To not allow yourself to be afraid. In the midst of COVID or whatever it is, do not allow anything to rob that peace that Jesus himself has given and that the empty tomb has guaranteed beyond anything else 
that the world will ever offer to you. Fourthly, the empty tomb tells us that his presence is here. Killing Jesus was like trying to empty the oceans with a teaspoon. <laughs> you know, this is not going to happen. Death could not hold him who holds the world. And because he's no longer in the grave, he is here amongst us as he said he would be. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. We have gathered this morning in the name of Jesus, and we know that he is here with us today. So maybe we don't see his scarred hands and his hold side. But we know because the tomb is empty, we know that He is here. And by faith we believe that, we receive it, we understand it to be true. John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor. That word another is a Greek word, alos, and it means another exactly the same as. It's the same substance, it's the same character, it's the same nature, it's exactly the same. It's not even a mirror image, because in a mirror you would lose some sort of quality. It's exactly the same thing. And Jesus says, I will give you exactly the same as me, counselor, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live. <laughs> oh man, his presence is here. His spirit is here. That guarantee of my eternal life with him. He has sealed me with Himself. He has written me on my heart. He has, he has filled me with His presence. And on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate again. His presence is here. Wherever we are, there He is. The Lord is there. He is the Emmanuel, the one who has come to be with us, God with us. For all eternity, through the empty tomb, God tells us His presence is here. Hallelujah. And lastly this morning, through the empty tomb, God tells us that His purpose is the church. As believers, we are not just some motley bunch of misfits in life. We might behave as such, <laughs> but God doesn't see us as such. That's not how He looks on us. We are His chosen ones. We need to believe that. We need to come to understand that we are chosen by Him. You are a royal priesthood. I mean, it's, it's beyond just normality. We are a new creation, new creatures, create, created in his, recreated in His image. He sees us as His bride. And why? Because of the resurrection. The church is very, very precious to him. Ephesians 1.17 I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know him. Paul says to the Ephesians, I want you to know him better. (laughs) Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious the riches, I beg your pardon, of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably. There's nothing you can, can compare to the power of God resident in you because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. You get that bit? His resurrection ensured this purpose, and that is the church. His purpose would be the church. God placed all things under His feet, appointed Him to head of everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Look around quickly. You see the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Friends, that just blows my mind. Because I know as you look at me, I'm not sure what I bring to the party here. I'm actually pretty sure what I do bring to this party, and that's absolutely nothing outside of who He is in me. Right? But Jesus looks at us and He sees His body. He sees the fullness of Himself who fills everything in every way. His purpose is the church. Through the empty tomb, God tells us His purpose is the church. And His workings in the world today are primarily through His body, through the church. When you feel that God cannot use you, think about the resurrection. Remind yourself that you are part of the body of Christ, His church, and you are His purpose. (laughs) Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. 